U.S. Secretary of Health Alex Azar arrived in Taipei late Sunday afternoon, marking the highest-ranking U.S. official to set foot in Taiwan since Taiwan-U.S. diplomatic ties were severed in 1979. During his scheduled four-day visit, Azar is expected to meet with President Tsai Ing-wen, his Taiwanese counterpart, Health Minister Chen Shih-chung, as well as sign a bilateral MOU to solidify Taiwan-U.S. cooperation in public health. A lawmaker in the legislature's foreign Relations Committee says Azar's visit is not only an implementation of the U.S.'s Taiwan Travel Act, but also raises hopes that official visits by cabinet members will become the new norm. The last time a member of the U.S. cabinet visited Taiwan was in 2014 during the Ma administration when the U.S. EPA's administrator Gina McCarthy came to Taiwan on a three-day visit. Former Japanese Prime Minister Mori Yoshiro on Sunday led a delegation of over 10 Japanese parliamentarians to Taipei to express their condolences over the death of former President Lee Deng-hui. In a whirlwind trip, as soon as they touched down, they went directly to the presidential office to meet with President Tsai. And from there, they visited Lee's memorial at the Taipei Guest House. The former prime minister explained that since he was undergoing dialysis treatment, he could not be away from Tokyo for more than two days. At 2.33 in the afternoon, former Japanese Prime Minister Mori Yoshiro, along with a delegation of Japanese dignitaries, landed in Taipei's Sungshan Airport in their charter flight. They rushed straight to the presidential office to meet with President Tsai before going to Lee's memorial at the Taipei Guest House. Owing to the efforts of former Prime Minister Mori Yoshiro, former President Lee was able to visit Japan after he left office. I want to thank our distinguished guests seated here for their long-term support of and contributions to Taiwan-Japan relations. Knowing that former President Lee has sadly passed away, all Japanese citizens and Diet members all hope to personally give former President Lee their final farewell soon. Prime Minister Abe called me and asked me about the death of former President Lee. The Japanese side will always send key figures to Taiwan to express their grief and condolences. In fact, I'm currently receiving dialysis treatment and cannot leave Tokyo for more than two days. Keeping epidemic prevention in mind, both the Taiwanese and Japanese dignitaries had masks on the whole time. During Mori's chat with President Tsai, he presented her with a small gift symbolising the two nations' friendship, a comic magazine which had President Tsai on the cover. Then Mori led his delegation to the Taipei Guest House, where they paid tribute to Lee's portrait and presented flowers. Mori was emotional in his speech as he bade farewell to his old friend. Around 6.30 in the evening, he ended his whirlwind visit to Taiwan by boarding a flight back to Japan after paying his respects to Taiwan's Mr. Democracy. Construction work has resumed on the controversial Taipei Dome project, which had been idle for more than five years, with work suspended over corruption allegations and questions about the safety of the facilities. Some furious Taipei city councillors are threatening to take Taipei 
Mayor Coenger and his administration to court, arguing that restarting construction is in violation of government regulations. But Ke does not appear to be worried. The Department of Urban Development today on Father's Day, just a little after 6 a.m., gave a surprise announcement that work on the Taipei Dome, which had been suspended for five years and three months, will resume. Just a day after the announcement, construction work on the dome resumed. However, some city councillors are threatening to sue Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe for doing this to give special benefits to the dome's contractor, Far Glory. We have repeatedly requested that the Taipei city government pay attention to these regulations, but the city government and Ke have turned a deaf ear to this. We will formally file both criminal and administrative lawsuits against Ke. Whoever is looking for an excuse to make trouble, you can sue if you want to. That's it. Councillors were not the only ones to question why the city government was letting Far Glory off so lightly. Even Lin Min, a former urban development chief under Kerr, was dissatisfied. He noted the dome's construction still violated building regulations 97 and 127 and added it was regular practice to wait for the Taipei Architects Association to conclude random inspections, in this case before August the 11th, before applying for the resumption of construction work. However, the Department of Urban Redevelopment made the announcement on August the 7th. Is there any license in Taipei that's issued like the one originally issued to Far Glory? Why does the Taipei city government show such favoritism to Far Glory and give them this opportunity? The Taipei Dome project was suspended back then for not following the original blueprint. Frankly speaking, that's just too ridiculous. How could anything be under construction for four years and not follow the original blueprint? We won't criticize the previous administration. That's how things turned out. I'm just dealing with the aftermath. That's it. Kerr even compared the construction of the fourth nuclear power plant with the Taipei Dome. The Taipei Dome won't become the Taipei city government's fourth nuclear power plant. The fourth nuclear power plant is a problem. Look at how much money has been spent on it. 300 billion Taiwan dollars. Up until now, its construction hasn't been completed, and there's no decision to tear it down either. It's just sitting there. At least we're very sincere in solving the problem of the Taipei Dome. Taipei City Councillors angrily criticised Kerr for dragging all kinds of irrelevant topics into the debate to divert people's attention. They are threatening to expose all the evidence of the city government's violations of the law and discipline at a press conference on Monday. After a typhoon-free July, a tropical storm has developed over the Pacific Ocean northeast of the Philippines in early Sunday morning. However, it's still not headed for Taiwan, but it will likely make landfall in South Korea on Monday. Although Jiangmi won't make a direct impact on Taiwan, its outer peripheral winds could cause drastic weather changes, particularly in central and southern Taiwan, with heavy rains in various regions. From Monday through to Wednesday, the public is advised to carry rain gear when going outdoors. Over the weekend, cloud coverage gradually increased. And starting Monday, rain is expected to arrive. Jiangmi Typhoon is in the southern 
Tropical storm Jangmi, the fifth Pacific storm this year, formed at 2am on Sunday. Given its rapid northward movement, it is expected to make landfall in South Korea on Monday and will pose little threat to Taiwan. Despite that, its peripheral winds cannot be ignored. Starting tomorrow, the storm will make contact with Taiwan's mainland. Rain will be its main impact on Taiwan. In the three days starting from tomorrow until Wednesday, the weather will be unstable. Currently, the chances of a sea warning being issued are quite low. For two days starting Monday, the central and southern regions will experience heavy rains in various areas. As for the northern region, the impact will be less, only in the form of afternoon thunder showers. After Wednesday, the weather in Taiwan's western regions is expected to change, again to a pattern of patches of heavy rain. Under the influence of the expected precipitation, temperatures in all regions are expected to fall by 2 to 3 degrees. The scorching weather won't resume until Thursday, when a high-pressure system over the Pacific Ocean strengthens. From the beginning of August to the present, there's been a low-pressure system across the South China Sea and all the way to seas east of the Philippines. This condition is conducive to the development of tropical disturbances. However, our forecast model for the coming week after tropical storm Jiangmi moves northward show that there's no significant development of a tropical disturbance. No sooner has August ended its second week then three typhoons have arrived one after another. As Taiwan enters the typhoon season, the public is advised to pay close attention to the changeable weather. Over the past several decades, Taiwan has gone through a tremendous transformation when it comes to how it looks at tattoos. Body ink was once commonly worn by indigenous tribes before it became the mark of a dedicated soldier. Then it evolved into the preserve of underground gangs before bursting into popularity as a fashion accessory. Today in our Sunday special report, we look at the fascinating history of Taiwan's ever-changing views on tattoos. Eighty-eight-year-old veteran Yan Shizhong has a tattoo on his arm that reads, Repaying the country with supreme loyalty. He'd gotten the tattoo in 1953 when he was stationed in Penghu. Back then, if you didn't have a tattoo, there was something wrong with you. Getting a tattoo meant your thoughts were dedicated to the nation. The tattoos on many veterans' bodies are cloudy, as many have tried repeatedly to remove them, only to have traces remain. After coming to Taiwan, we tried to remove them but couldn't. Before coming to Taiwan, we had to have this proof of our dedication. Without this proof, your words were in vain. We went through many hardships. Thinking about it brings tears. After the war, these veterans made their home in a conservative Taiwan. With the exception of soldiers, almost no one sported a tattoo. One reason was that, after half a century of Japanese rule, tattoos had become taboo. Even indigenous people, who had a tradition of tattooing, were not permitted to have them. But prior to the 1980s, there was another group of people that had tattoos. That group was gang members. Uh, in the early days, it truly was like that. 
those who came to get tattoos were predominantly from brotherhoods and gangs. This didn't change until Western culture began to enter Taiwanese society, challenging the stigma traditionally associated with tattoos. In the 1980s, celebrities and athletes around the world turned tattoos into a popular accessory. The trend spread like wildfire among fashion-seeking youth. In the Ximending shopping district, some 10-odd tattoo parlors cropped up. Young people have a very strong sense of self. They know very well what it is they want. Like I'll ask, what do you want to get tattooed? They'll want me to draw an X. I'll say, that's a strange thing to tattoo. From my artistic perspective, you need at least an image. They'll say, no, I think it's cool, just an X, that's what I want. In recent years, Taiwanese all the way up to their 40s have been seen sporting new tattoos. With an image in mind, they meet with a tattoo artist to discuss how to bring it to life. The resulting creation becomes a mark of individual expression, a symbol of one's personal philosophy. I got myself this tattoo. Mainly, it represents my desire to behave as if I were in nature. That is to say, I want to take the good with the bad. I want to be able to accept all the parts of myself to let me be me. Initially, one factor that inspired me to get a tattoo was that it would express something I believe in. One should be practical and realistic, and if one decides to do something, it's important to see it through. In Taiwan, the general public is growing more accepting of tattoos. Overseas, the art form has made its way into the exhibits of art museums. France's K. Branly Museum runs one exhibit of tattoos from around the world. So far, 1.5 million people have seen it. This touring exhibit recently came to Taiwan. It gave Taiwanese tattoo artists a chance to show their work alongside tattoos from all around the world. Tattooing has always been a part of underground culture, but now it can also come up here and show itself inside a fine art museum. For every one of us who does tattoos, this is a dream come true. I brought in this exhibit because, first off, I felt that art museums are an open platform. We should support a diversity of voices, a diverse audience, and diverse conversations. This exhibit uses tattoos, or body imprints, as a lens for looking at 5,000 years of human civilization. Xiao Shizhe, a tattoo artist for 26 years, says that in the early years of human civilization, tattoos were used as a form of protection. Tattooing started as a way of protecting life. It was a form of totem worship. People would take images that they worshipped or images their culture considered important and tattoo them onto their bodies. This was a way of showing that they had a magical strength. Among Taiwan's indigenous people, the tattoo culture is rich and diverse. Today, when indigenous youth get tattoos, they not only create an artistic expression, but also engage in a traditional cultural practice. In 2015, Kujay Patrajas of the Paiwan tribe went on an exchange with Pacific Island tattoo artists. It was during the exchange that he discovered Taiwan's own long-lost indigenous tradition of hand-tap tattooing.
Yeah, guitar. <laughs> Today, hand tap tattooing is a flourishing art form in Samoa, Hawaii, Tahiti, and the Philippines. To help revive the technique in Taiwan, he used it to tattoo images from Austronesian cultures all over his body. Shawei, Shawei, Vasa, Tashiti, the eyes. This is Samoa. Unlike Kujay Patrages, who uses ancient tattoo equipment, Yang Jingxiang makes his creations with electric tools. Yang has been a tattoo artist for more than 30 years, and he has won gold at countless international tattoo exhibitions. Separately, his tattoo parlor has won two of Taiwan's three titles at international tattoo competitions. Taiwanese tattooing is very famous worldwide. Why is it famous? Because Taiwanese tattoo artists love to compete. They go to compete at tattoo conventions all over the world. They want people in other countries to see Taiwan. It's true, this is another way in which Taiwan shines. With titles and global fanfare, Taiwan's tattoo artists have become recognized as artists in their own right. And with that, tattooing has become a respectable, attractive profession. Students graduating this year might feel like they have a new career option. For example, those from art design, fine arts, and related programs, what do they want to do in the future? They might think, I want to be a tattoo artist. Twenty years ago, there was absolutely nobody thinking that way. Although the tattoo industry has matured, Taiwan legislation has yet to catch up. The only rules governing the tattoo industry are the consumer guidelines set out by the Ministry of Health and Welfare. Overseas, tattoo parlors have to meet basic safety requirements. Recently, there's been some action. Taiwan's health departments in the north, central area, and south have started doing random inspections of parlors and their inks, needles, and sanitation conditions. It shows the government has started to turn its attention to these things. There's no legal age requirement for those who want a tattoo. But tattoo artists say they abide by unwritten guidelines when it comes to minors. If you're under 18 and you get a tattoo, what if your parents aren't okay with it? Given that you aren't legally responsible for your person, what's to be done? Normally we'd ask you to get a signature from your parents on a letter of agreement to prevent trouble. If we didn't do that, we would frequently get sued. Artists are calling for explicit legislation, complete with regulations and guarantees to help their industry grow. I like to say that tattoo culture is a culture of power. What sort of person gravitate towards a culture of power? A person with a fragile heart. This person naturally likes powerful things. He'll put a tattoo on his body where it provides comfort. Since ancient times, tattoos have been a uniting of strength and art. This is love. It's the character for love. Although I have many tattoos all over my body, I am not a bad person. Tattooing has a history going back 5,000 years. It's taken on different identities throughout different eras, and it's currently enjoyed as an art form. 
To have a tattoo, one must undergo physical pain. But after the pain, a symbol of self is born, one that endures for a lifetime. Older adults can face age discrimination that makes it hard to keep their jobs or find new ones. But in Yingling's Huwei Township, one mushroom farm is welcoming seniors with open arms. More than 60% of its staff is over 50 years of age. This mature workforce keeps the farm in ship-shape condition and produces some 10 metric tons of mushrooms a month. With a small knife, they clip the stems off the button mushrooms and lay the caps neatly on a tray. It's not too hard a job, but it requires stamina as you have to repeat the same movement over and over again for several hours. It's work that few young people want to do, but these workers say that for them, it's no problem. Being older has its advantages. You become more stable in old age. When you're young, you're kind of restless. Here, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, as long as you are willing. The mushroom farm has 16 employees, 10 of whom are over 50 years of age. The average age of the staff is 52 years, but that doesn't slow down the operation. Morale is high, with many employees thankful they have a job. I'm very happy working here. If my boss lets me, I'll be doing this until I can't. This farm's willingness to hire older workers hasn't gone unnoticed. Labor Minister Xu Mingchun recently visited the farm, picking a few mushrooms herself. She praised the farm operators for doing their part to fight age discrimination.